can't see God, but if Christians would love one another and love their community, then they could feel the presence of God in their community. And so I pray that you'd give us generous and open-hearted kindness to our neighbors, to seek them out, to care for them, and to serve them too. So Lord, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you that we can celebrate uh, your promises and your presence in our midst. And we ask for faith this evening in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to go to Colossians chapter 3, continuing moving through Paul's letter to this church. Um, Oh, yes, thank you. The kids need to be dismissed. I'm sorry. Yeah, hey, I'm getting a clap over there. Kids can be dismissed. Miss Carol out the back. Nursery age on up to seven. Thank you for the reminder. So yeah, this letter from Paul to the Colossians is, you know, probably take you, I don't know, 15 minutes to read or so. Uh, But it is a letter written to a young church that's dealing with some confusion, some confusing things. Uh, They've placed their faith in Christ, but there's a lot of other voices. And so he's writing to them because he wants them to stay loyal, faithful, and true, and steadfast to Jesus. And so experience the full hope of their Christian faith. Tonight we're in chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. I read it to begin the service as well. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why would you do that? A very interesting reason. For you have died. (laughs) Isn't that a funny thing to write to a bunch of living people? You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. So basically, I just want to kind of slowly, you know, we've been taking bigger chunks of Scripture through Colossians, but I want to slow down here and kind of look at some of these things phrase by phrase this evening. Um, I don't often say such and such a thing is a key to the Christian life, uh, because how many, you know, how many keys can there actually be? You know, I mean, I'm a little skeptical when I hear people say that to me. Um, So, you know, if you've been coming to Trinity for a long time, you probably maybe never heard me say something like that, but if I were to say it about anything, I would say it about this passage right here. So it's a good night that you came. (laughs) Because I really do believe this is a key to unlocking a powerful and dynamic experience in a Christian life. Because it's really the key to unlocking what it means to be connected to the Christ of Christianity. That's what this passage is really talking about. And so um, it's kind of, it's built on, you know, I'll I'll use the fancy words first. It's built on indicatives (laughs) and then imperatives. So all you English majors out there are going to love this. An indicative is a statement of fact. This is a statement about what's true. It's It's a statement about identity. This is who you are. This is what happened to you. Those are all indicatives. And then the imperative is the command that's built upon that. And so, okay, based on the fact 
that this is who you are, then this is how you should act. Um, I was watching some soccer stuff here recently. You know, I'm sorry, you know, it's just season for me, so I just kind of in that world, and so the illustrations just kind of come out as I connect soccer and preaching or whatever, but um, there's a team in England. Raise your hand if you know who Manchester United is. Oh, we're in America. This is great. Dan, you didn't raise your hand, and I know you know who they are. <laughs> so anyway, the captain of Manchester United, you know, you expect the captain to give some rousing speech sometimes before the game. And he used to say, his name was Roy Keane. He's a kind of a you know, sub subdued kind of a guy. He just goes, boys, we're Manchester United. Go play like it. <laughs> That's their identity. They were a successful team. They are, you know, obviously, you know, won lots of trophies and things like that. And it was just a statement of fact. This is who we are. And so now let's go act like it. And so that's really what the Christian life is. This is what, this is what God has done for you in Christ. This is who he says you are. This is what he says has happened to you. And now, based on what he has said, respond. Now, some of that stuff might sound a little bit like the power of positive thinking. Like, you know, I know I can run a six-minute mile. I know I can run a six-minute mile. I can run a six-minute mile. <laughs> I can say that all I want. I'm not running a six-minute mile, okay? The difference between when God says something and then responding to it, and really when anyone else says something, is that when God speaks, He creates what is spoken. And God said, let there be light, and there was what? Light. When Jesus was on the water and the winds and the waves were going crazy, He said, peace be still. And what happened? His word creates reality. And so what he says is true, is real, is reliable and dependable. And so when God says certain things about you, specifically through the work of Jesus, then you can trust them, you can embrace them, you can set your heart and your mind on them. And so, what are these indicatives? What are the things that he is saying about us? Well, he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, first of all, if you have been raised with Christ. Now, this is a, you know, sorry to get all geeky on you, but this is a first class conditional. What that means is he's assuming that it's true. Okay, he's putting it in a, in a conditional form, but he's assuming that it's true. So he's basically saying, because you have been raised with Christ. So if you're a Christian, something supernatural, something spiritual has happened to you. There's a part of you that has been raised. And that has the idea of, 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 it mirrors what happened with Jesus, that he was raised from the dead, which was a powerful reality, and then he was raised, as it says right here, to the Father's right hand. That's kingship. And so if, if, that's, if you're connected to Jesus, then that's happened to you. There's a spiritual resurrection that has happened to you, and now you're connected with the authority and the power of Jesus as the seated king as well. That's what he says about you. You've been raised with him. If you have your, you know, the, the chapter breaks, which I got a question about chapter breaks. There's another bad one here as well. <laughs> Go back to chapter 2 and verse 20. You'll see a parallel idea. 
He says, if you died, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. So you see the parallel idea? If you died with Christ, 2.20, and the assumption is that you have, chapter 3 and verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ, and you have. And so, brothers and sisters, this, again, I think is a key to a Christian life that we often miss. We think about God loving us, which we sang about tonight, and we think about forgiveness. We often don't connect deeply enough. We don't believe into it enough that there's a part of us that died when we believed. Thinking about a way to try to illustrate this. And... Um, it's kind of like, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. But if not, I'll try to help. So, you know, a significant part of my story of coming to know Jesus had to do with um, in a problem with anger, okay? Um, which is, you know, he's still working on me, but... There's definitely a death to that that has occurred. And so that most often would show itself in competitive environments, um, which I've shared some of the things here before. But um, I remember being in college because after high school, the Lord had done a deep work in my heart after high school. So for all you teenagers and young people, God can work in your heart. And so I had had multiple issues with anger and losing my cool, to put it mildly. And as a 16-year-old, God, like, woke me up. And after that, I was, I was different. Not perfect, for sure, but different. And um, I got to college, and I was still playing, and I felt like... I lost my edge. <laughs> like, every drill, every practice, every ball, it's like, I got to win. And if I don't win, I'm mad. Like, li literally everything. I mean, you know, some people have known me for 35 years in this room, and they can tell you, whether it's ping pong paddles or putt-putt golf clubs or whatever, that got broken and smashed and thrown and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't matter what it was. Literally every single thing I had to win. And then, when I got to college, the Lord, like, set me free of that. And, like, I would, like, be in a drill, and we wouldn't win the drill. I'd be like, oh, that's okay. And I'd be like, oh, shoot. Like, oh, no, no, I got, I got, let's run it again. Run it again. You know, so I, you know, like that type of thing. And I remember thinking, that part of me is, is gone. I'm and I, part of me wanted it back, <laughs> but it's like, no, you don't want that. Well, all the, all the garbage that comes along, you don't want all that back. And so part of me died with Christ. The part that's corrupt and arrogant and greedy, he put a sword in it. You died with Christ. And now... Again, it doesn't mean that I've you know, never lost my cool since then. Or, you know, but it's like there's a, a pattern had been broken 
And it might not be that for you. I, I just use that as an example because it can, you know, he's going to talk later on in this chapter. It could be, you know, he talks about evil desires and sexual morality. He talks about slandering or obscene talk or lying. There's all these ways that the, that corrupt lifestyle can be a part of actually who you are. And when you come to Jesus, it's not just that he forgives you of that sin, but he kills a corrupt part of you. You died. In fact, as you know, I pointed out when I was reading it through here, it's a funny thing to say in verse 3. He just says it very matter-of-factly. You have died. If you're a Christian, there is a part of you that is now dead. And the true part of your life is now connected with Christ and it's hidden with Him. You're alive. You've been raised with Christ. And so he takes what was dead, you know, that, that desire, that, that competitiveness, and he wants to redeem it and transform it. And I'll use the Apostle Paul as the example here. Before the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, became a Christian, he was diligently, passionately, zealously persecuting the Christian church. And the word for persecute in Greek is dioko. It also means to pursue. It's got a double meaning. And so before he met Jesus, he was diocoing Jesus in the church. Then he met Jesus, and now he says in Philippians chapter 3, I dioco Jesus in a different way. I'm pursuing Jesus now. I want to know Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus. Same word, redeem. And so, you know, this is who you are if you are a Christian. This has happened to you. You know, again, the $64 million question is, are you living into it? Are you aware of it? Or is it just something that, you, you know, that you, you know, you're ignoring or maybe it's new to you? or I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason in the American church, it's just not talked about enough. Looking back at chapter 2, if you have your Bible just a little bit further back. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. That's the death. Okay, we're going to have a baptism in a couple of weeks. Baptism is a, is a portrayal. It's a reenactment of what happens to us spiritually. We are buried. We're dead. Our old life is killed. It's the idea of going under the water. And you raised up out of the water and it's a new life. You were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so, brothers and sisters, you know, I know that life is a struggle. <laughs> that things can be discouraging and hard. But I don't want us to discount the powerful reality that is happening in literally every single Christian's heart. You were dead. Now you're alive. That's the good news. That's what God says about you. So that's what's true. That's what's real. And so therefore, based on that, Paul says here, you should respond in a certain way. The, the indicative leads to an imperative. The, the facts lead to action. Okay? We're Manchester United. <laughs> Act like it. And so, he says, therefore, 
Oh, one more thing. Oh, good thing. I almost missed this. You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Okay? Put a pin right there. That's authority. That's kingship. That's the reality that the kingdom of God is present right now. We're going to come back to that. So now, facts, this is what happened to you. Now what should I do? You should set your mind on the things that are above. Again, you've been raised together with Christ. Now, the word above there, you know, you know again, we think of heaven as spatially up, which is fine. It's not necessarily wrong, but what Paul's talking about is the, the spiritual realm. The realm, Christ inhabits both realms, spiritual and physical, and so do we. And what's happened on the inside of us is that we've been now connected to Jesus in this spiritual realm in a position of authority and strength. And so therefore, it makes sense that you would set your mind on those things and not on the transient earthly things. Now, I want to be careful here because... You know, Paul's going to get into some very earthy, practical stuff here about loving each other and forgiving each other, about husbands and wives and parents and children and, and workplaces and business. And so he, he's going to get very earthy. So it's not like he's saying, you know, stop being a practical person. But what he is saying is that the spiritual realities that are permanent and transcendent ought to be the driving forth, force, excuse me, about how all the earthy stuff happens. And so he says, set your mind. And so, you know, I, I know I've said this in this church many times, but Paul says it many times, so I don't feel bad about saying it again. In literally every single letter that he writes, he addresses how they think. And here he says, set your mind. In Romans chapter 12, he says, renew your mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says that the Spirit renews your mind. In Philippians chapter 2, he says that you have the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says the same thing, you have the mind of Christ. And so over and over and over and over again, the way Paul fleshes out Christianity in a powerful and a dynamic way is that he encourages Christians to exercise faith in the reality of who Jesus is and what he did. Why do we sing a song like this, I believe? Because it orients you to the story. It reminds you of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, what he's currently doing for you, and what he's going to do for you. And if you aren't re regularly rehearsing your mind in the story, in the person of Jesus, then of course your Christianity is going to be weakened. Because you're separate from the source, who is Christ. Now, I brought up that point about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God because here's, I think, a helpful illustration how you, this can, how you can practically do this. What does your, and now fill in the blank here, I'll choose home life to start. What does your home life look like when you look at it from the perspective of Jesus sitting on the throne. So when you wake up in the morning, you need to rehearse this. You know, that's where you know, I, I tease those, you know, those, those silly tapes. I am strong. I am powerful. I am handsome. I am going to make a lot of money. Those things that people listen to to try to like help them you know, get better at life. 
Obviously, that's silly. You know, the power of positive thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, that's been, you know, repudiated because life is hard and difficult and, you know, <laughs> you know, those things aren't true about me. You know what I mean? So it's like silly to try to rehearse those things. But it is true what Jesus says about you. You know, sometimes I wake up my girls in the morning and I'll just say, good news. <laughs> And they're like, oh, this is going to be about Jesus. <laughs> it's not pancakes, nope. <laughs> Something better. Jesus is on the throne. That hasn't changed. Win, lose, or draw, that hasn't changed. Things don't go your way at work, or things don't go your way here. What does life look like? Again, Paul says, set your mind. So in a sense, as it were, use a faith filled imagination to get yourself at the right hand of where Jesus is and now bring in your issue and what does your issue look like from the throne I guarantee you it's a different perspective it can be a perspective of humility it might be a perspective of power it might be a perspective of wisdom but whatever your situation is as a Christian you are raised and seated with Jesus so see all of life that way It's so fired up about that. <laughs> I pounded the pulpit. There it is. I'm a pulpit pounding preacher. <laughs> you know how empowering that is in the midst of a struggle? You know how hopeful that is in the midst of pain? You know how freeing that is when you're guilty? You have been raised and seated with Jesus. That's who you are. So set your mind there. Rehearse it in the morning. I died with Christ. I'm raised with Christ. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's given me the spirit of Christ on my heart. And I have a future with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. why I say maybe there's a few keys to Christianity, maybe just a couple this is definitely one of them you've died with Christ and you've been raised with Christ and so Trinity, set your mind on Christ and see every part of life from that united throne of King Jesus now one of the things that is kind of like a paradox in this is that so much of this, look at verse 3, is hidden. Right? You can't always see it. This is one of the things I want to, you know, that I love about the power of God. The power of God is rarely, I don't want to say never. But rarely is the power of God the way we would oftentimes want to show our power. He's not showy with his power. How did God show his power through his son? <laughs> he had him crucified and then raised three days later as a demonstration of his power. 
He likes to show his power through weakness. And so this power, I, I think of it more as like the, the power of beauty. When something is beautiful, it has its own kind of power, but it doesn't force itself upon you. It draws you into its power. And that's how the Christian life, the power of it is. Most often it's not showy and triumphalistic and boastful. It's resolute. It's endurance in the face of suffering. It's the ability to get up and try again. It's the strength to love someone who's not returning it. It's the strength to forgive again. Like Christian power being seated with Jesus is actual power. But it's meek and it's humble and it draws you in. In a sense, it's kind of hidden. It's not like Christians... You know, sometimes I wish this were true, although not really. This is why I won't put a Christian bumper sticker on my car because of the way I drive. I don't want people thinking that's what Christians do. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. We don't walk around with a halo on our head or floating. But if people stop and look in and see, they should see over the course of time a humility, an integrity, a generosity, a kindness, a strength, a poise, a hope, all of these things because our life is with Christ. And all of that stuff that Christ has and is is flowing through our spiritual veins, so to speak, and gradually and powerfully the life of Jesus comes out of us. Christ is our life. That in itself is a challenge. I wonder how many of us can say that. Maybe we need to think about that. Can we say with Paul when Christ who is your life? Maybe we would have to say such and such else is our life. Such and such else is our life. But what he says is that he is our life. And then you have this beautiful promise that when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Powerful truth. Hope-giving truth. So brothers and sisters, we're going to work our way through some of how he's going to flesh this out. I mean, even look at verse number five just quickly. We won't, we're not even going to get into it this week, but you can again see the indicative and the imperative. He says in verse three that you died, and so now in verse five, so put to death what's earthly in you. This is who you are. This is what I say about you. Now live into it by faith. And you can have confidence that when you live into it, that he will meet you there. When your faith works out in obedience, you will see the power of God. I'll close with this illustration and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight, which is perfect on the heels of this passage here in Colossians. The Lord's Supper is Jesus saying that you participate. You know, you're taking into your body the symbolic representation of his body. Talk about union. That's what you're, We're going to celebrate tonight that Jesus has brought us into his. What Jesus went through, we have gone through. So we'll celebrate that in a moment. But this whole idea about the indicatives and the imperative, because this is who you are in Christ, so therefore set your mind, rehearse it. And I could say here just by way of application, you know, that's songs. You know, every, almost every morning, you know, uh, I bought this 
really cool thing for our bathroom where you can connect your Bluetooth speaker to the fan in the bathroom. My girls use the heck out of it because they're somewhat technologically savvy. We have one in our bathroom too. My wife never uses it. She just got her phone blasted. I'm like, oh, the way that sounds off. Anyway, almost every morning I hear my wife taking a shower, I just hear worship music. And I know what she's doing. She's setting her mind on things that are above. And it encourages my heart to know that's what she's doing. She's deliberate. Going to hear the word of God in song. We're going to roll out another Bible reading plan. Being here tonight. Those things aren't flashy. But you, uh, one of my favorite theologians, named Eugene Peterson, said this. If you want to experience wonder, do you guys like to, those moments that go, oh, wow. You, you, we, love, we live for those moments when we get, oh, wow, you know. How do you get, oh, wow, moment? You've got to be present and you've got to engage. If you're present and engaged in the reading of Scripture, in the singing of songs, in the fellowship of the saints, then those oh, moments come and you're filled with the wonder and the joy of Christ. Now, finally, there was a lot of build up to this last illustration. Become who you are, Trinity. This is what he says about us. Let's become who you are. When I was little, um, my dad played company softball. His company, I still remember the jerseys. Syracuse Merritt, that was the name of my dad's company. Got the full jersey made up. It was gray with red trim. And then he got the baseball pants that went down to here. And then he wore the high... Um, stir yes, thank you, Roland. Okay? And we used to go to the games at Sullivan Park, and my dad was the best. You know, I don't know that, but he definitely was. <laughs> he played shortstop. I want to be just like him. And so I can remember being five and six years old, going to my parents' room, pulling out the jersey, and trying to wear that thing. I remember pulling the stirrups on. I had the pants they were supposed to be to here. They're all the way down to here. The stirrups, you know what I mean? It's a mess. I was trying to live into my dad's calling, my dad's identity. And if you ask my girls, I have. Have I not? <laughs> oh, you're just like Pop Pop, which I take as one of the greatest compliments in the world. I grew up into my dad. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's given us everything we need. He's empowered us by his spirit. He's given us his word, his people, and his promises. He's even given us this, this ceremony, this ritual that we'll celebrate tonight to remember and recalibrate that we belong to him and he belongs to us. And so let's grow up. Let's become who he's called us to be because Christ is our life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you love us not just to forgive us as great as that is, but to make us new from the inside out, to give us a new life, new strength, new hope. And we thank you that 
you promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And as we seek to be faithful to you in the midst of certainly some challenging times, we thank you for that, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and that we are raised with Christ, and that you are making us like him. So we thank you for that. And as we celebrate and remember what you've done for us, I pray that you would meet us at the table, that we would have a sense of engagement and presence to know that you are here, and that as we remember, we can be changed. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here at Trinity, we practice an open table. Um, So if you're a believer in Jesus and you're walking with him, we invite you to participate with us. 1 Corinthians 11 gives us some instruction about how to make this experience meaningful. And he says there, certainly to remember remember what Jesus has done for you. In a sense, take it seriously. And he says in verse 31, If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And so it's a time to examine and just say, you know what, Jesus, I want to surrender everything to you. I'm already dead anyway. I want to give these things to you. To confess your sins. And there's no better place to do that than at the table of Jesus. The table of grace welcome and hospitality. So just take a few minutes and reflect and pray and seek the Lord.